If you've been on the internet at all in the past two years, you've probably seen some hardcore 1990s nostalgia. After all, it's been 25 years since 1995. 25 years is a major milestone. In a marriage, it's the silver anniversary. In growing up, it's the year you can rent a car. 25 years ago, the Macarena was cool, Beanie Babies had resale value, and O.J. Simpson was getting acquitted. And most of our listeners were probably paying more attention to their Beanie Babies than to true crime. So that got us thinking. Are the shocking crimes of 1995 still shocking today? Do they feel different after so many years? Does 1995 have crimes we haven't heard of but need to know about? The answer to all of those is yes. That's why today we're counting down the top 10 unforgettable crimes of 1995. These crimes may be 25 years in the past, but we think that they'll still shock you 25 years from now. all you weirdos, welcome to the ParCast Original, Crime Countdown. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the ParCast Research Gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 unforgettable crimes of 1995. 1995. So I was 10. That's crazy. So I was having a very um, beanie baby moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was also watching the O.J. Simpson's trial every single day. I was um, in the womb. You certainly were. So I definitely wasn't watching the trial, but I'm sure I was listening to it. Yeah, that's right. Ash wasn't born yet, <laughs> everybody. Okay, I wasn't born yet, but I do have a great love for the 90s now. You do. You seem like a 90s kid. Yeah. Like, in general, I've always been obsessed with, like, Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. and I love 90s movies, like, Never Been Kissed and oh, Clueless. Yes. You were kind of made for that decade actually now I definitely I think about it. was <laughs> yeah I feel like I belong there because I love like tie-dye I love yep. acid wash jeans yeah you're all about I'm it. trying to think oh and I love a choker oh you do love a good choker you not only love a choker you wear a choker <laughs> wear a choker you wear it isn't it weird how history kind of repeats itself like that though? it does and these trends always come back around yeah everything always comes back around I'm bummed that I didn't live it but then again some of these crimes make me thankful that I was womb chilling uh yeah Today, we're going to count down the top 10 crimes of 1995. Elena has five, and so do I, but neither knows which the other one has. Let's start the countdown. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 10. Starting off our list of unforgettable crimes of 1995, at number 10 is the Jenny Jones Show murder. Nothing more 90s than the Jenny Jones show itself. Yeah, just the fact that it's called the Jenny Jones show murder, (laughs) it's like, wow, 90s. In March 1995, 24-year-old Jonathan Schmitz shot and killed his friend Scott after Scott had revealed his secret crush on Jonathan on the Jenny Jones show just three days earlier. Eek. 
The episode of the show never aired, but clips that have been made public now show Jonathan like nervously laughing, but also being cordial at the same time. I feel like that was everyone on these talk shows at that time, though. Yeah, because these talk shows were intense at the time. Like, do you like Maury? Maury wasn't always like, you are not the father. You know what? I actually had on the Jerry Springer show this morning. Of course you did. And it was like, (laughs) the topic was like, let's get freaky. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? So it's perfect for this countdown. While he was on the show, Jonathan said that he wasn't gay. But according to some sources, he and Scott might have had a sexual encounter the night after the show. Intrigue. So it's like, who really knows? Who knows? Does Jenny Jones? Jenny Jones probably does know. She She, probably does. She knows all. She knows a lot. A few days after the show was taped, Jonathan received a suggestive letter. We were keeping on with the drama of the whole 90s talk show. And we don't get to see what happens after the, like, you know, my daughter is a goth, please make her over episode. (laughs) Exactly. Well, he assumed this letter was from Scott, and he made the decision right then and there to buy a gun and kill Scott. Oh, that's not good. An overreaction. Disproportionate response. Right? Yes. Jonathan luckily turned himself in right after he shot Scott twice in the chest. Ugh. And he was sentenced to between 25 and 50 years. Well, should have been more. I know. Well, luckily, Scott's family successfully sued the Jenny Jones show for wrongful death. Good. But the judgment was overturned by the Michigan Court of Appeals. What? It doesn't really make any sense to no. me. But this whole thing really changed like daytime television and like talk shows like this. Yeah, absolutely. People weren't doing ambush things anymore. The ambush makeovers, the ambush secret crushes. Right. Yeah. Well, Jonathan Schmitz actually was released in 2017 after ah. serving 22 years in prison. But he's not commenting on this whole thing now. Hate that. Ugh. Nine. At number nine is the Harvard roommate murder. On May 28, 1995, 19-year-old Harvard junior Sinadu Tedessa stabbed her roommate, Trang Fung Ho, 45 times. Oh my god. 45 times. She also attacked a guest before barricading herself in the bathroom and hanging herself from the shower rod. Wow, like that's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. Imagine walking into that crime scene and just being like, what happened here? No, thank you. That's chaos. It's absolute chaos. Complete chaos. So Tedessa's roommate died from her injuries at Cambridge Hospital, but her guest was able to make a recovery. So that's a silver lining. Yeah, and Tedessa was a pre-med student from Ethiopia She had become increasingly troubled by depression and some personality problems of late. Oh, that's sad. Tedessa was extremely reserved by Western standards, whereas her roommate, Trang Fung Ho, was very sociable. So they were like, so this is like completely already. Already, it's just like these two personalities. Either they're going to get along great or it's going to clash. Yeah. Tedessa even expressed her feelings of hopelessness, which is really sad. By sending letters to local strangers. Really? That's just, like, so sad. That's really sad. When her roommate shared her desire to room with a different student senior year, Tedessa hit a breaking point. Oh, no. So this was literally a situation like, you can't leave me. That's really scary. Yeah, no good. So Tedessa missed three exams the week of the murder, then sent a note to the Crimson, the school paper, and it had a picture of her, and it promised a juicy story. Oh, no thank you. Yep. You feel like they should have been like, well, that's okay, we don't need that one. Or check into it. Right. Maybe just look into like, that a little bit. What juicy story? You want to give us a little bit of a lead here? I wonder if any of that movie, I think like Blake Lively is in it. Or no, it's not Blake Lively, it's the other one. Um, The roommate. 
Oh, yeah. It's not, what's her name? Or like single white female yeah. kind of thing. They were yeah. definitely inspired by that. Yeah, absolutely. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of top 10 unforgettable crimes of 1995 is the hijacking of Flight 857. On June 21, 1995, a 53-year-old man hijacked the flight after it took off from Tokyo, saying he was armed with explosives, sarin gas, and held a flight attendant hostage with a screwdriver to her neck. Oh, just that? Just all of that. Just that? Just all those things. No big deal. No one noticed. No. Yeah, very subtle. A lot of people noticed. So <laughs> this man claimed to be from the cult terrorist group Um Shinrikyo. Ah, we know them. We've talked about them. Yeah. He apparently demanded the release of the cult's leader who was already in custody on murder charges. Oh. So he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> no. And it's like, what do you think we're going to do about it on this plane, yeah, sir? You think we're going to be like, you know what? Sure. Let me call my people. We'll let him out. Well, along with explosives and gas, he also told authorities he had multiple henchmen seated around the plane to help him. So you're sitting on that plane and you're like, are are you a henchman? You're literally, excuse me, sir. Are you a henchman? Might you be a henchman? Can you imagine the terror sitting on that plane? Somebody's sleeping on your like shoulder and you're like, I'm sorry, are you a henchman? I'm going to need you to move (laughs) because I'm feeling unsafe. (laughs) After... 15 to 16 hours of the standoff, the authorities determined that he was acting alone and the screwdriver was his only weapon. So he was just a big fat liar. Wow. Riot police then stormed onto the plane and obviously arrested him. Thank goodness. Freeing the 364 people on board. Wow. So 364 people were sitting there like, what do we do? And it was just a guy with a screwdriver. Just that guy. Um, Shinrikyo actually denied any involvement, and the hijacker then recanted his motive, but didn't offer up another one. Oh, okay. And apologized. Oh, super sorry so about I, it. everything's fine now. Yeah, absolutely. If you're from the 90s, this guy is a literal poser. <laughs> Seven. At number seven this week is the murder of Unabomber victim Gilbert Murray. On April 24th in Sacramento, Gilbert Murray, the president of California's Forestry Association, a lobbying group, opened a package, which exploded and killed him instantly. Oh no. So Kaczynski was kind of like a really bad Ron Swanson, like the evil Ron Swanson. He was totally anti-modern technology. Off the grid. Totally off the grid. Like he should have gone the real Ron Swanson way. It would have been much better. Go the path of light. Go get a steak and some bacon. Exactly, but he didn't. So he was very anti-modern technology. He hated seeing the forestry being torn down around him. And this is what sparked the bombing attacks. I mean, okay, but... You literally could have done anything else about that. Make a sign. Make a sign. Make a call. Tie yourself to the tree. Go door to door. This just wasn't a good idea. But the Unabomber was linked to 15 attacks since the late 70s that killed two other people and injured a whopping 23. Wow. Yeah, he was really busy. Gilbert Murray then became the third victim killed by him since 1978. Now, Murray was the Unabomber's second Sacramento victim. A computer store owner was killed in 1985, the year I was born, by a parcel (laughs) bomb. Oh. Yeah, not a good claim to fame. Like, I was born that year. Hey, what a great year, but not actually. A parcel bomb. He loves mail bombings. He does. He really does. The reason it stands out on this list, though, 
the Murray one is that Murray was not the intended recipient of this attack, which is so sad. That's a tragedy. This package was actually addressed to his predecessor, who he had just replaced. No. Uh-huh. So he's like, ready to go to work right now. So mm-hmm. excited about my new job. He's like, yippee. And then opens a package. Oh. Like, that's awful. Can you imagine? Well, in either way, even if it was for, like, the other guy and he was still working, it still would have been no just as what, sad. You open a package, you don't expect that. No. You expect something awesome from Amazon or I was something. I just going to say that. Everybody loves a package. It's like Christmas. But he's trying to ruin it. He did. did. Well, Well, he did for a minute. Yeah, we got we got we got through it. (laughs) A quick minute. Well, Ted Kaczynski was finally arrested a year after killing Murray in April 1996. See you later. Goodbye. The year I was born. (laughs) I'd like to be linked to that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's a better one. Six. Also on our list at number six is Deborah Green. On October 24th, 1995, Green set her home on fire in Prairie Village, Kansas, with her three children inside. Ugh, Damon. Horrible woman. Ugh. Well, Deborah and her estranged husband, Mike, were going through a divorce at the time, so she was really angry, oh, I guess. So, so totally justified, yeah, obviously. Of course. That's crazy. Well, further investigation revealed that the past years were marked by depression and frequent job losses and just all-around failure. I would be shocked if it wasn't. Yeah, seriously. There was a lot of lead-up to this. Her 13-year-old son, Tim, and six-year-old daughter, Kelly, both died in the fire. Ten-year-old Kate made it to safety by climbing out a window and onto the roof. At what cost? And, like, just to know that your mom did that and you escaped. And now you have this survivor's guilt? That's horrible. Well, one murder attempt charge separate from the fire included the fact that Deborah had fed her husband, Mike, rice and spiked meals. Deborah, Like, she was really trying to just get everybody out of there. Deborah, take a step back. Like, just go elsewhere. Wow, Deborah. Get divorced, move away, because you clearly hate everybody. That's the thing. It's like, just get divorced and leave. Right. You can leave your kids. It's fine. They're better off without you. Exactly. Well, Deborah was held on $3 million bail, Whoa. which was the highest bail ever required at that point in time by Johnson County, Kansas. Jeez. So clearly I they mean, were like, she needs to stay where she is. It's necessary. Deb appealed a few times, but luckily it's always denied. The answer is no, Deb. Goodbye forever, forever and always. <laughs> XOXO, the legal system. <laughs> wow, what a list so far. I don't know where we go from here. This whole thing has been just very sad and bleak. We have a Unabomber on here. We have Deb. On here? Deb was not messing around. How is Deb that high up on the list? I know, because we're headed to a dark, dark place. A very dark place. But you know what? Come with us. Join us. Join us. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate from Parcast Network, and I'm here to introduce a brand new podcast I think you'll love. It's called Blind Dating, and it's a fun twist on a classic setup. Every Wednesday, YouTuber and host Tara Michelle introduces one hopeful single to two strangers in a voice-only call. Through a series of illuminating games and questions, they find all the sweetness and awkwardness of a first date minus the distraction of appearances. But once our hopeful single chooses their match, the cameras are turned on, and it's either butterflies or 
Goodbye. You know you can find love in a bar or on an app. Why not a podcast? Blind Dating airs weekly with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of unforgettable crimes of 1995. Starting off the second half of our list is the Rettenden murders. On December 6, 1995, three local drug dealers were lured down a deserted farm road near Rettenden, Essex, England, and shot to death while they sat in their Range Rover. Okay. Yeah. You know this one, right? Yeah. I've never heard of this no, one. No, I actually haven't either. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I've heard of it, yeah, Elena. I have. The Range Rover. I get it. Well, the Range Rover is important because this case has also been called the Essex Boys Murders or the Range Rover Murders. Which do you prefer? The Essex Boys Murders. See, I'm the opposite. I like the Range Rover Murders. I feel like the Range Rover Murders did not do the people who committed this any favors when they were in prison. Yeah. Can you imagine being like, oh, hey, I'm just the Range Rover Murderer? That's true. I agree with that. I don't think you'd be high up on the power but list. But if there. I have to go, let it be in a Range Rover. I mean, you would be the Range Rover one, <laughs> but not a murderer. No, 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 no. We digress. It's a crime that became one of the most notorious killings in Britain for decades and has been the subject of a ton of books and a few movies. Mm, yeah. The victims were members of the Essex Boys gang, which is why the Essex Boys murder. Ah, uh, gotcha. Because yep. at first you're like, what? <laughs> why though? And their murders amplified the fact that there was an underground drug war happening in Essex. I feel like this really would be a good movie. I want to watch one of these movies. Because it's like shining a spotlight on this now, yeah. the dark underbelly, you know? Detectives investigating the murders called the crime scene in the car carnage. Ooh. Would you know when investigators are describing it that, like, poetically? Yeah. That it, it's bad. A massive police investigation would eventually lead to the conviction of two men who claim innocence. Of course they do. Their conviction relied heavily on a former friend turned police informant who many believe kind of spun a few tall tales. Uh-oh. Yeah, they think that he pretty much exaggerated his so account. So he's a rat and he's a liar. And he's like, no good. Uh-uh, you're no not gonna good. last long, sir. Before the trial, the informant had agreed to a quote-unquote commercial arrangement with a journalist who would become a best-selling true crime writer. Oh, Isn't so, that crazy? Yeah, just a casual coincidence. No horse in that race, I'm no. sure. The whole trial and investigations reportedly exceeded one million pounds, which is nearly... $3 million in U.S. money. Who? Yep. Expensive. Yeah. Range, Range Rovers. Rovers. <laughs> Four. Landing at number four this week is the murder of pop star Selena. On March 31st, the 23-year-old singer was shot by Yolanda Saldivar at a Days Inn motel in Corpus Christi, Texas. I remember this one vividly. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. With Jennifer Lopez. If you need a good cry, turn on Selena. Who doesn't? Well, Selena was known as the queen of Tejano music, and her first English-language album was months from release when she was shot. Ugh. Yolanda Saldivar was the president of Selena's fan club, and she was also in charge of Selena's boutique business. She was also a card-carrying bridge troll. 
Correct. <laughs> Great description. Yeah. Well, it turns out, again, card-carrying bridge troll <laughs> was stealing from the business. And Selena, being quick-witted and awesome and like she was. a savvy businesswoman. I know, right? She yeah. was doing it all. She was. Well, she caught on to what was going on. Of course. So she went to the hotel that Yolanda was staying at and asked her to hand over all the documents regarding her business affairs. She was like, I don't trust you with these. Hand them over. Yeah, she knew what was going on. And she had a right to do that. It's her stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Selena took the briefcase of documents and headed for the door on her way out. But as she was walking out, Yolanda shot her in the back with a 38 revolver. The cowardice that that takes. It's like, really? As really? she's walking out the door? Yeah. I hate you. Ugh. Selena ran out of the room and made her way to the hotel's reception, said the words Yolanda, room 158, and promptly fainted. Another example of how like genius selena was even as she's bleeding out right she's able to be like here's the pertinent information she's just been shot and she's like look who did it thank goodness she did i know well she was taken to the hospital but it was discovered that the bullet had caused irreparable damage to her lung during her trial yolanda had argued that she accidentally fired the shot come on oh it's so coincidental that all of this was happening and you accidentally shot the person who was probably going to sue you and also why did you point a gun at her right in the first place why was there a gun out in the first place exactly well the jury didn't buy it just like us and yolanda saldivar was sentenced to life in prison rot see you never goodbye Three. Number three on our countdown of unforgettable crimes of 1995 is the Umshamrikyo nerve gas attack on a subway in Tokyo. Unlike when we mentioned the cults at number eight during the plane hijacking, this time they really were involved. No posers. No posers. On March 20th, cult members walked onto central train lines with plastic bags of sarin gas and punctured them. Oh my god. This is insane. That's brutal. It's so brutal. Um Umshamrikyo was a doomsday cult, of course, founded in 1984. It used a mixture of Christianity, Buddhism, and Hinduism, and they also used, like, yoga to draw on followers. Downward dog. So when you first read that, you're like, Sounds rad. Let's just meditate. Like, this sounds great and very relaxing. Held a yoga class that morning instead. But that was not it at all. The cult was also full of top scientists. Like, really smart, brilliant minds were part of this cult. I know, that's the weirdest thing about the whole thing. And, like, businessmen and, like, doctors, too. Yeah, like, the most brilliant minds you can think of. Well, these top scientists were the ones who recreated the formula for sarin nerve gas. So didn't use it for good. The impact of the gas was immediate and victims began to choke and vomit. This is not one of those things where you just, like, cough and fall over. It is right. a brutal, gruesome death. And, like, slow, I would feel yeah, like. awful. 13 were killed, and approximately, are you ready, 6,000 oh were injured. Oh, my God. And it was Japan's deadliest terrorist attack. Yeah, 6,000 people. 6,000 people just were injured. on their way to work or, yeah. like, wherever else. Exactly. Thousands were blinded or paralyzed, so thousands of people walked away from this I mean, for life. I was going to say, impacted for life. It's crazy. And rescue workers had to wear hazmat suits and gas masks just to deal with the victims. Right, because there was probably like remnants and everything in the air. This must have been just chaos. And just so scary. What a, like, pandemonium. Yeah. The group's leader went through an eight-year trial, 
but he never explained the motive behind the attack or even acknowledged responsibility for it. He was like, but just so you know, I didn't have anything to do with that plane hijacking. I definitely didn't do that plane hijacking, I can tell but you that this, much. But this, don't, I don't remember. This, I'm not real sure. Which is weird, because you'd think going through all that trouble, these kind of dudes usually want to take responsibility for You want for the this fame stuff. and the notoriety. So it's strange. Yeah. But this whole thing is strange, to be honest. Their leader, along with six of his followers, were executed following the attack. What do you think is going to make the final two? Well, I didn't even realize that Selena was 1995. Yeah. I don't know what year I thought that was, but I remember it so vividly. I thought it was later, but that one, I'm glad that's on the list. I think the movie was came unforgettable. out. Yeah, I think the movie came out like the following year, I want to say. Probably. I think it was 96. Yeah. <laughs> I think that. that's why I remember it. You're like, when I was born. Seriously, though, watch that movie. And I had never heard of the Rettenden murders. No, I hadn't either. And so, I want to see a movie about that now, too. I know. Now I'm like going to look into that. I think you meant the Range Rover murders, though. Oh, excuse me. The Essex Boys <laughs> murders. <laughs> Let's fight about it. I don't know what the top two are going to be. Well, I know what one's going to be, but I don't know what the other one is. Me too. I feel exactly the same. So crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just do it. Let's do it. Two. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of Unforgettable Crimes of 1995. Landing at number two is the bombing attacks on Paris in retaliation to France's involvement in the Algerian Civil War. Oh, that old thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That, that huge war. Yeah. While the bombers wanted to punish the French for supporting Algerian authorities who scrapped multi-party elections in 1992. An Islamist party had been poised to win that election. So this was like their retaliation for not letting that happen. Ooh, not they were good. like, listen, this is the outcome we wanted and we didn't get it. So we're pissed. That's a very overreactive punishment. Again, I think that's a, a theme lot on of this list. Getting very theatrical. The attacks began July 25th, which was the deadliest of all of them. So their first attack was the deadliest. Jeez, right out of the gate. Killing eight people. Ugh. The bombers packed nails and bolts around gas cylinders just to maximize the injuries in the blasts. They did that at the um, marathon bombing yeah, in Boston. The Boston bombing. Yeah, we all remember that here. My God, I, yeah. I was at driver's ed that day. That one little specific detail where they said that there was like shrapnel packed in there just mm -hmm. to cause maximum damage always like haunted me and they did so hearing it again is like Ugh. there would be eight different bombings here in total wounding over 150 people jeez the final attack took place on october 17th so this happened from july to october oh i didn't even think of that that that's such a long period of time yeah and on october 17th a bomb injured 29 people five of them severely jeez Two additional bombs were thankfully defused by the police and one actually misfired. Can you imagine what damage would have happened? Even more, yeah. They, yeah. Algeria's radical armed Islamic group ultimately claimed responsibility for the whole thing. They usually do. Makes sense. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 unforgettable crimes of 1995. Are you ready? I'm ready. The Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, yep. I yep. remember this one vividly, I can't believe too. I didn't think this would Me be on the neither. list. I can't believe I forgot it. On the morning of April 19th, 
Timothy McVeigh parked a truck filled with explosives outside of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City and detonated it, killing 168. Whoa. Yeah. This one's really sad. I can see why this is at number one. There was so many little details that come out about this one that were just like, ugh. It just like adds and adds yeah. and adds. I mean, these people just went to work. Mm-hmm. Like, that's always just, ugh. Timothy McVeigh fled the scene and detonated the device at around 9 a.m., which demolished a third of the building. I know, and if you picture a building and Mm -hmm. three parts of it basically getting just, like, completely demolished, it's so scary. It's insane. And I remember seeing it on TV, and it was just catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 168 people were killed, including 19 children. Oh, no. Yeah. Hundreds more were injured. And the children, I remember hearing about it, there was a daycare for the employees. Oh. And that's, yeah, which, oh. McVeigh was arrested less than two hours after the blast because, ready, his vehicle did not have a license plate. You're serious. I am serious. His getaway car was not equipped with a license plate. These guys always make the stupidest decisions afterwards, which, which like, I'm glad. I was, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad, but like, wow. But like, really? Not of all things. You were able to create like an explosive that did that much damage and you couldn't put a license plate on your car? It's like book smart versus common sense. It absolutely is. Two days after the attack, McVeigh's accomplice, Terry Nichols, turned himself into authorities. See, I was wondering if he, I couldn't remember if he had somebody that worked with him. I thought so. absolutely. McVeigh met Terry Nichols during Nichols' brief stint in the U.S. Army. And the two represented the Patriot Movement, which is a militant right-wing movement that rejects government and any sort of law enforcement. Oh. Which seems to fit here. Yeah. McVeigh wanted to avenge the raid on the Branch Davidians in Waco. We talked about that. We did. And attack a building with as many federal government agents as possible. But you're also getting... Like, everyone's innocent, but it's like you're trying to go after these certain people for your revenge. You're also killing kids who have nothing to do with this. But it's like he didn't care, obviously. No, of course not. Terry Nichols was sentenced to life in prison, while McVeigh was sentenced to death. And he was executed by lethal injection in 2001. Mm, See, I'm like in between on the death penalty. Like, I can see both sides. And for this one, I'm like, yep, okay. (laughs) Sure, you deserve it. Goodbye. Bye. Wow. What a list. That is definitely number one. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of anything else that one could have been number one Mm -hmm. or two that the podcast research gods missed. Yeah. I don't think they missed anything. I think that was a very thorough list. Which I'm a little upset about. I need to like decompress after this. Yeah. That was heavy. Yeah. Everybody just take a deep breath. Do some yoga. Not the um umshamrikyo kind of yoga. Different kind. Do some real yoga. And just, you know, love, just love each other. Yeah. Stop doing this stuff. Just make a sign and protest instead if you exactly. don't like something. Because that's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get brand new episodes delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Spotify has all your favorite music and podcasts all in one place. They're making it easier to listen to whatever you want to hear for free on your phone, computer, or smart speaker. And if you can't get enough of these creepy crimes, check out our After Crime Countdown podcast playlist on Spotify, where we've handpicked even more episodes about this week's stories that we think you'll enjoy. And if you like this show, which we hope you do, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. 
If you like Ash and myself, which I hope you do because you made it this far, yeah. you can follow our other adventure, Morbid Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. Thanks for listening and keep it weird until next Monday. Please do. Bye. Bye. Crime Countdown was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Kevin McAlpine. Produced by John Cohen, Jonathan Ratliff, Maggie Admire, and Kristen Acevedo. Crime Countdown stars Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Remember to follow Blind Dating for a dash of romance and rejection. YouTuber Tara Michelle hosts, and she's thrilled to help hopeful singles meet their match once they've survived the hot seat. Follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.